Thursday, September 13th. Welcome to Mark Fullery. I'm Chris Hill. Joining me in studio today from Motley Fool Special Ops, Mike Olson, and from Motley Fool Inside Value, Joe Mager. Gentlemen, happy Thursday. Happy Thursday. Happy good Thursday. To, good to see you. Uh, we're going to dip into the Fool mailbag, but first, I'd be remiss if we did not talk about the news of the day, and that is the fact that the Federal Reserve announced it is extending its plan to keep interest rates low until at least the middle of 2015. Free money! Free money forever! Uh, Joe, they're also planning to buy, do I have this right, $40 billion worth of mortgage bonds per month for as long as the economy needs it. That's not a typo. That's That's real. (laughs) That's accurate. Yes. What do you think? I think it's unnecessary, and I don't like the idea that the Fed is getting this active to keep propping up markets. That said, all my bank stocks are doing quite well today, so I guess I'm a little bit happy with that. But all things equal, kidding aside, I would prefer that we not feel like we have to keep injecting (laughs) stimulus, even just at the hint of a double-dip recession. Mike, what do you think? Well, I mean, we're kind of a prisoner to the policies we've enacted now in that the market continues to expect it. And absent that, there is the perceived risk that investment will decline. So, I mean, <laughs> not ideal. It's not ideal. But fortunately, we do have, uh, because we're doing videotaping in our, in our new studio here, we actually have footage of Ben Bernanke, the Fed chairman, uh, just, just throwing the money. He shaved. He shaved. Yeah. <laughs> just throwing the money right out there in the street. Uh, for our listeners on Market Fuller, you can check out the video at fool.com. We'll actually put it, we'll put the link out on Twitter. Yeah. Give, give people a little incentive to That's follow nice. Market Foolery on Twitter. Uh, let's move on to the Fool mailbag. You can always email us, radio at fool.com. Email from Ryan Croff, or Crop. I may be mispronouncing that. Crop of. Yeah, one way or another, I'm mispronouncing that. So apologies, Ryan. Uh, he lives in Redondo Beach, California. He writes, you guys talk a lot about how eBay will likely spin off PayPal. I love the PayPal business, and I'm looking into buying eBay for that purpose. Do you think it would be best to buy now or wait until eBay spins PayPal off into its own company? How would you go about evaluating this proposition? Uh, Joe, I know eBay is a company that you follow closely. Mm-hmm. First, how likely is a spinoff? And if you think it's likely, what is the likely timing? I, I don't want to say 100%, but pretty close to it that it'll happen within the next few years. I think realistically they're going to hang on, hang on to PayPal through 2013. And the reason is the Discover deal takes place starting middle of next year. So middle of next year you'll be able to start paying with PayPal in stores anywhere that accepts Discover, which is more or less any place that takes plastic in the United States. Uh, there's going to be a big marketing push around that. And eBay is smart. They're going to want to get everything they can out of PayPal. So they might do a pure spinoff, but they might do an equity carve-out too, which is what Philip Morris did with Kraft many years ago, where they sell a small part of the business, and it creates a currency for the stock. It pops the parent company stock, and then they spin off the rest of it. It sounds a little convoluted, but it's the best way for eBay to make as much money as possible on it. So to Ryan's question, I mean, if you think it's likely that it's going to happen in the next few years, do you wait just for that? Or are there enough X factors that you think, you know what, you're, you're probably better off jumping into shares of eBay now? Yeah, I mean, I own it now. That suppose that's the ultimate testament, but I wouldn't wait. I think realistically, the business is performing very well. And I think both the businesses are worth owning too. eBay just 
eBay proper, the, the, marketplace, the marketplace business. business yeah. yeah, I mean, they're doing incredibly well on mobile. Uh, they're selling now 9,000 vehicles a week through eBay mobile apps, which is just mind-blowing. A handbag every 30 mm-hmm. seconds, and that trajectory is just accelerating. Uh, they're doing very well on desktop as well, and they just posted their best growth quarter since 2006. So not only are you getting you know, the PayPal business, which is doing phenomenal, but a resurgent marketplace business too. Mike, what do you think? I mean, I think there are two considerations here. The first is that when you consider the, consider the dynamics of spinoffs and companies that are conglomerates in some way, shape, or form, they traditionally trade at a discount when they are together. And so yeah. if the market itself believes that PayPal is the more competitively advantaged, rapidly growing companion to eBay, it will in all likelihood be valued at a lower rate as a part of eBay. Secondarily, and I mean, that's what you see in spinoffs and or conglomerates at all times. I mean, there's a wide body of uh, empirical research surrounding that. The second is basically that as part of eBay, you might argue that prospective partners to PayPal are not willing to step up for competitive reasons. And so the extent of its growth opportunities may actually expand if and when it is decoupled from eBay. Basically, Mike means Amazon. I was just going to say, so I, the, to the, chase, the company Amazon. that leaps to mind here is Amazon. Yeah. And if all of a sudden you can use PayPal on Amazon because it's its own company, that seems That's like a, a huge ticket. opportunity. That's a big uh, We've talked before about the future of mobile payment and just how big this industry is likely to get over the next five to ten years. What, what are you guys each watching within that industry, whether it's a specific company, uh, it could be a public company, it could be a startup, or, or you know, pick uh, from another category altogether? Yeah, well, there's a lot of innovation going on there, and my favorite name is eBay, both because of eBay's marketplace business, which is doing so well, but PayPal, which is a platform agnostic payment tool that is really working hard to connect with developers so that it's the payment app of choice within apps. I think they've been very aggressive. I like it. It's been very successful. And that's probably my favorite way to play it. And, you know, speaking of this, it was interesting yesterday. We didn't talk about it on the show. But Apple didn't add an NFC chip into their phones in the iPhone 5. And, you know, outside of the nerdy realm of people who follow mobile payments, that doesn't mean anything. But that was a big statement from Apple that they don't see NFC technology, which to simplify it, basically putting a chip in your phone that would allow you to just swipe your phone at a credit card terminal and pay, they're not including that. And I think that really just speaks to how that technology isn't as far along as a lot of people want it to be. Uh, and in the meantime, that means, you know, your visas and MasterCards of the world are going to keep doing very well. Mike, what's one thing you're watching with the future of mobile payment? I mean, I think I think the market potential here is quite large. And so if you're thinking about this from kind of a venture capitalist standpoint, you want to get in on the bleeding edge of this. And so if I'm looking at a behavioral metric for whether or not this is something which is actually uh, it's a value investment or it's not, I want there to be some level of discomfort in the market because it's, I mean, to me, the market potential is plain, as is the pain point. Um, the, the trouble is determining where the entry point is. And so... For me, I want to buy when there's some level of discomfort because once it's obtained widespread acceptance, that investment opportunity is not going to be undervalued. Email from Max Baum. He writes, I came across an announcement in early June that Travel Centers of America was pairing with Shell 
to add liquid natural gas fueling lanes to at least 100 of its 238 locations. They'll be training and equipping many of their repair technicians, service locations, and roadside assistant vehicles to handle natural gas-powered truck engines. In your opinion, might this be a significant natural gas play in the trucking industry, and how might it compare to clean en energy fuels network of fueling stations? Might it be a safer play because of the wider range of services offered for natural gas trucks? Uh, Mike, obviously there's a lot there. Mm -hmm. Let's just back up a little bit. When it comes to natural gas trucking, how big a market are we talking about here? Well, the market potential is enormous. The investment opportunity, I think, is decidedly more nebulous. To give a sense of this, there are 2.2 million, at least according to the Federal Highway Administration in 2008, 2.2 million long-haul trucks. Right now, I would guess it is in the thousands, the number of trucks which have converted to CNG technology, that is compressed natural gas, these fueling purposes. So the market potential here is great. The question therein is whether or not its potential will actually be realized, and that's contingent upon a few factors. It's contingent upon natural gas prices and inventories being the inventories being as large as people actually expect that they will be, that the shales can actually, we can pull gas from the ground as cheaply as people expect on a long-term basis, and moreover, that you can convince the service station folks to build an adequate network of service stations and the truck operators to adopt it. And so there's kind of a chicken or egg dynamic going on right there. Yeah, mm -hmm. just to add to what Mike was saying, 2.2 million is a big number in terms of vehicles, but key perspective in the U.S., we sell about 13, 14, 15 million light vehicles a year. So it's not, you know, a grand sweeping change in the way that we will drive our autos. Right. The interesting element to that, of course, is the average long-haul truck probably drives four or five times the amount of a passenger car. Yeah. I mean, the question here is, what sort of adoption are we going to get? If we get 10% adoption, that's not really needle-moving on total natural gas consumption. It's good for the market, but it's not huge. Well, and Joe, as we've talked about before, when you look at natural gas prices, which are, are low and have been low for so long, Regardless of how big the market opportunity is, we're obviously talking about something that has, you know, a, a several-year cycle to play out for investors. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, totally. Okay. <laughs> yeah. No, and to get to what Mike was saying, too, um, a lot of people get confused when they invest in a company that involves with natural gas fuel. The thinking is, I'm bullish on natural gas, but there's a difference between being bullish on natural gas consumption and demand and the price of natural gas. Because if natural gas prices spike, that's actually going to be a big setback in terms of using natural gas as a fuel for cars. So ironically, part of the thesis for higher natural gas prices over the long term is that if we do build out a big installed base for vehicle demand of natural gas, that's really going to ramp up that demand. and We may not be able to meet that supply, which could right. in turn boost up prices. I mean, that's the interesting part here. He really brings up a great point, which is that if these inventories are as large as we actually expect, there is a huge market opportunity and perhaps an export opportunity. Now, you have to understand that natural gas prices are much higher overseas. And so if there is a convergence between natural gas prices overseas and here, they're going to be meaningfully higher. And the economics of natural gas as a fuel source for vehicles become much more tenuous, particularly so, considering the build-out costs. So to Max's email, what is the best way to invest in this? If you think this thesis is going to play out, whether it's over the next few years or even the next 10 years, if you think this sort of thing has legs, 
Are you better off investing in sort of a larger conglomerate like a, like a Royal Dutch Shell? Or are you better off making a, a more specific, albeit riskier play, whether it's clean energy or even like a, a Westport Innovations, which is, you know, working on the guts of the vehicle itself? What do you think, Mike? Um, well, I think Shell, as an investment on this particular theme, is not really interesting. I, for many reasons, I'm not particularly bullish on any of the large uh, integrated oil companies, oil and gas companies. Is that because so much of their money is coming just from oil, like it's, it's, it's just a sliver that they're betting on natural gas? Well, I think they're relatively balanced between natural gas and oil. The problem is that their oil profits are poised to shrink dramatically just because it costs a lot more to get oil from the ground now than it did maybe 10 years ago. And so their margins are going to shrink. That's obvious. For Shell, I think the reason they're doing this is basically just this is a low-cost source of optionality for them. It, it gives them another place to move their natural gas. And, you know, that's good and fine. They have deep pockets, and they can maybe go ahead and find another venue for natural gas. Clean energy, I think the market potential is huge here. But yet again, this is a chicken or egg stock. This is one where there's going to be a very long ramp to realizing the eventual economics of natural gas fueling. They haven't made any money yet. Um, a potential theme on playing this, well, there are two I can think of. The first is pretty much straight exploration and production companies. These are companies that produce natural gas. Two that Joe and I both like, Range Resources, Ultra Petroleum. Uh, disclosure, I own Ultra Petroleum. Uh, As do I. Shameless plug-in. <laughs> Boom. Uh, the other way is uh, the services companies. These are the companies that basically provide the picks and shovels. The, means whereby you extract it from the ground. Interesting theme on, or interesting play on that, of course, and this has no shortage of followership, is Halliburton. I like that one a lot. That is, I believe, an inside value rack, correct, it Joe? Is. It mm. is. Joe, what's your way to play this? Well, Mike was pretty thorough in that <laughs> response, and I completely agree with him. The integrateds, I see this happen a lot. People will get excited about investing in one of the majors, because they have a big development program and a small energy play. Um, a good example of that is Chevron, which is one of the bigger players in thermal energy. The thing is that thermal is a tiny, tiny, tiny cog in the Chevron machine. So even though it's a major player in thermal, you shouldn't buy Chevron to get that exposure. In the same way, I'd be reluctant to invest in Shell just because of you know, natural gas, All right. specific to natural gas fuel. Mm -hmm. Keep the emails coming. Radio at fool.com is the way to get a hold of us. I have to mention again, September 25th, Worldwide Invest Better Day. You can go to investbetterday.com for all the details. It's a new free service that we're launching. And we're actually going to be streaming video all day on September 25th, and that will include a live taping of Market Foolery. So if you've ever wanted to see what Uncle Joe Mager looks like, you'll have your chance. Uh, investbetterday.com. Check it out. Joe Mager, Mike Olson, guys, thanks for being here. Thank Cheers. you. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and the Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against, so don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's it for this edition of Market Foolery. Our producer is Matt Greer. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you on Monday.